This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Ellie Jackson, and I'm joined, of course, by George Smith. Happy New Year, Merry Christmas and everything in between, George. Yeah, same to you as well, mate. Good to, good to be back on and, and doing another one of these. It feels like it's been months since we did one. It's only been just over a fortnight, but with the amount of games that we've had in that fortnight, the amount of managerial changes we've had in that fortnight, it does feel like we've got a, a hell of a lot to unpack. But Happy New Year to everybody and I hope everyone had a good Christmas and hopefully that your, your, your team got off to a winning start on, on New Year's Day, which was, of course, yesterday as we record this. So here's to another 12 months of thrills and spills and God knows how many episodes of this. Yeah, absolutely. Just, I think, before we start the new year, I just want to say a massive thank you for everyone that continues to listen. We've had record growth in terms of numbers, both on social media and in terms of downloads, which is what the podcast is all about. So I'm glad that you're clearly enjoying listening to us ramble on about the best league in the world. So just a a big thank you once again on behalf of myself and George for, for your support over the last 12 months. Hopefully, bigger and better to come in 2024. What we're going to do on today's pod, given that there's been four match days since we last spoke, we were planning to do a pod between um, Boxing Day and the 29th, but with work schedules and and family events and everything in between, we just didn't get the chance to sit down and record. Um, We're going to, first of all, talk about Wayne Rooney's exit at Birmingham City. He has, of course, been sacked today. And then we're going to go through the biggest winners and losers of the festive period with four games, unless... I think we'd record a five-hour podcast if we tried to do it normal, the normal way and go through 48 games of championship football. So let's start with the headline news, the breaking news this Tuesday that Wayne Rooney has left Birmingham City, George, after two wins in 15 matches. And they'd scored one goal in the last three. That He'd managed to take them from, remarkably from 6th to 20th. And let's be fair, this has been a disaster from day dot. Um, it's probably one of the worst championship appointments in a long time in terms of where a team was and how they were doing and how popular the decision was to where they find themselves now and what three months on 13 weeks I think it was in Wayne Rooney's statement Birmingham City have pulled the plug on on project No Fear Football with Wayne Rooney and I find it really interesting reading Gary Cook's statement, how there's no sense of um, accountability from him and from the people who have obviously made this terrible decision. Wayne Rooney's stock has been obviously been battered by this decision. But I think ultimately the owners and the people who made the football decision have got to take just as much responsibility because they brought in a manager to play a certain style of football who had conceivably got no track record of playing that brand of football. If you look at how it was at Derby, um, it was very possession-based, very intricate, and they had the players to play that way. He also had Liam Rossini in his co- in his backroom team who did a lot of the coaching, clearly um, had a big impact in terms of the tactical setup because Rooney's come into Birmingham and, and there's no way of sugarcoating it. I'm not just trying to be mean here. He's made them 10 times worse. They've gone from a coherent team that can get results in the championship under John Eustace to a plodding train wreck, which is absolutely nosedive down the championship table. It's a horrendous decision. And ultimately, Birmingham, not the fans, because again, we spoke so many times about how good that fan base is and how unfortunately been, you know, <laughs> you're a Birmingham fan. You finally get out of the the chaos of the last 10 years in terms of the terrible ownership. 
and then you get new owners. They do a lot of things right, in fairness to them. They got off to a great start, good transfer window, and then they throw a grenade in um, and then wonder why there's a massive wreckage three months later. So Wayne Rooney sacked by Birmingham City and a, a decision that felt inevitable with the way that things were going. Yeah, no no surprise at all. And the bottom line is we all saw it coming from the very outset of his tenure, didn't we? We all said at the time it was going to end in tears and that is exactly what's happened. Everybody knew this would happen and I've not seen a lot of Birmingham under Wayne Rooney, I must admit, and they've not had too many televised games. But the time I did see them was against Coventry on the 8th of December. Uh, they lost that game 2-0. Coventry, of course, a very good team and they've been getting better and better in the last few weeks and we'll talk about them later on. But Birmingham was so poor, so flat and lifeless that night. And I actually remember thinking to myself, an entire summer's worth of excellent recruitment is just going to waste. Birmingham earned so many plaudits in the summer for what they did. They they recruited so smartly, so sensibly, bringing in the likes of Ethan Laird, Siriki Dembele, uh, Buchanan, players like that who, you know, had got got quality and pedigree to kick on and progress. And John Eustace, they'd of course recruited to his needs what he'd wanted. They'd made a really, really good start to the season. Like you say, they were sixth when they made the, made the decision to sack him. They, they obviously won three of their first four matches. They went the first five unbeaten. They had a really, really good start. They were playing a good brand of football as well. And then ultimately, the, the Birmingham owners have just thought, right, we, we'll go for a star-studded name, somebody who's big, popular, is going to dominate media attention, might bring us in a few Instagram and a few Twitter followers, things like that. And that was exactly what it's done. We've seen it time and time again with clubs that have elected to go with the likes of Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, brilliant players in their day. But they've just not proven themselves as managers. And Wayne Rooney, though he did a reasonably okay-ish job at Derby in the circumstances, and to be fair to him, it was going to be a hard task for anybody in the state they were in off the pitch. It was just a disaster from day one. Wayne Rooney didn't really do anything when he went to the States with DC United. And John Eustace was a manager that was up and coming and was quite clearly onto something. But they stuck a grenade in it and thought, right, sod this. We're going to go for a big household name. And like I said at the very beginning, it has just ended in the exact way that everybody anticipated it would. It was clear from the outset it wouldn't work. And I think the Birmingham owners, like you said, they've took no accountability in this statement they've issued today. And they've quite clearly made it clear that it's not worked, but there's no sort of thinking, oh, we made the mistake to do this, which it was all on them. And ultimately, that 3-0 defeat to Leeds, which, yeah, it was going to be a tough ask for any team to go to Ellen Road, as, as it's been proven for the majority of this season, but... So that was the final straw. We saw Birmingham fans on New Year's Day chanting, we want Rooney out. That... But there's no point of any return, is there? When when that happens, the, the game, the race is run, the game is done, and for Wayne Rooney, it's cost him his job. And two wins in 15 for a team that was looking like they had a real genuine chance of being an outside bet for the playoffs this season. That chance now has, has probably gone, and all of a sudden, the next man, whoever it is, has got to stave off the threat of relegation. But having said that, there is enough quality in this squad, as we saw at the beginning of the season. To, to punch much higher above this uh, in the league table. And we'll we'll see where Birmingham go next. Obviously, Steve Cooper's the headline name that a lot There's of people no are clamouring about. Cooper's going to come into I can't Birmingham see it in a million years. There. Not a chance. There's no way on God's earth that Steve Cooper, who personally I thought was harshly sacked by Forrest a few weeks ago, is going to drop down into the Championship against so soon, certainly to a team as it stands 
at the bottom end of the table. So I think it will be very, very interesting to see where Birmingham go next. Let, let's just There's go through been... a few of the names. That go on then. Link whilst, whilst we're on this sort of topic. Um, Jesse Marsh, um, Gary Rowett, who's obviously been there before, Lee Cardley, and remarkably John Eustace quite high up in and yeah. clearly sounds like his, uh, his agent or his representatives have been on the blower to some media outlets who have been saying that John Eustace would be interested in coming back in very typical... Um, in very typical agent speak. So I, I I think Tony Mowbray personally seems like he'd be a good pair of hands for them for where they are at the minute in terms of steady pair of hands, probably get a big upturn in performances and, and get them up the league. I'm sure they'll probably try and go for something more flashy. Jesse Marsh screams of, of, of what Birmingham might try and do. If I'm being completely honest, I could really see that happening. Yeah, I could, to be honest with you. And again, I don't think it would be a move that would be overly sensible and overly attractive because he didn't really do that good a job at Leeds. I mean, Lee Carsley's an interesting one. Obviously, an ex-Birmingham player, done really well with the England under-21s. But obviously, as we've seen in the past with a lot of managers, international management and, um, of course, club management, very different. But having said that, of course... Steve Cooper was the England under-17s manager and he's not done bad for himself. So it's really interesting to see where Birmingham go because do they go for another flashy name from, say, a playing career or do they go for a manager who's reasonably experienced at this level? Maybe someone who, though experience has still got maybe a little bit more to give, maybe perhaps of a, a Scott Parker or a Paul Heckingbottom maybe, or do they go for a vastly experienced pair of hands such as a Tony Mowbray, who I personally think would be a very good shout. I mean, I, I tipped Tony Mowbray for the Stoke City job not long ago, prior to Stephen Schumacher going in there. So I think Mowbray would be a good shout. I'm, I've got the the latest bookies odds in front of me. And of course, you take those with a pinch of salt. They don't mean anything really. And Tony Mowbray is currently third favourite for the gig. So the bookies certainly think he might be one to watch. I think he'd be a good appointment. Still think he was harshly sacked by Sunderland being truthful. But We'll see what happens. I mean, Graham Potter features on the list. It's just not going to happen for the position that Birmingham are in. There's absolutely no way. And then, of course, a name that a few people are likely to mention, Neil Warnock. Does he come back into it a month earlier than scheduled? He always fancies it around February. Could he come back in at the start of January? Birmingham are He's a bit more ambitious that... and thinking long-term. Maybe. I'm sure they are, but you can never say never with, um, with Neil Warnock. And then, of course, another one on the list, Lee Bowyer, obviously another ex-Birmingham player and Obviously, being in management, being knocking around. and Yeah, so I think it's going to be an interesting way to see where Birmingham go with this because I don't think at this moment in time, bearing in mind we're recording this, what, eight, nine hours after the announcement came out that Wayne Rooney was uh, was gone. I think it's really difficult to pinpoint at the minute where they should go or what they're likely to do. But personally, if it was me and I was a Birmingham supporter, I wouldn't say no to Tony Mowbray in, in the situation they're in now because there is enough quality in that team to certainly get out of this quite quickly, as we saw at the start of the season. They are capable of getting good performances, good results, and ultimately the, the Wayne Rooney experiment failed miserably. But go back to that original point, everybody except the Birmingham owners saw it coming. Absolutely. Right, let's have a look at some of this festive action that we can get our teeth into. The winners and losers of the championship festive period will start. I want to start with Southampton because they picked up 10 points. And in my mind, they're probably the biggest, amongst the biggest winners in terms of blowing the automatic promotion race wide open, because we've always been talking about 
Ipswich and whether Leeds would catch them. Well, Southampton have now risen from fourth to third and they are now only three points away from Ipswich in third place. They're 18 games unbeaten. They beat Queen's Park Rangers. They beat Swansea City. They beat Plymouth and they drew at the weekend with Norwich City. And they are the form team in the championship along with, of course, Leicester who are blowing everyone away. Russell Martin's really got his teeth into things at St Mary's. And what I am particularly impressed with and what I feel like shows that he's getting a grip is some of those squad players and fringe players that weren't really getting a kick earlier in the season are now really coming in and playing prominent roles. Joel Aribo, um, first and foremost. Samuel Edozi, who started the season in the team but then dropped out and wasn't really contributing. Um, Stuart Armstrong's been, in a, been a mainstay in the team when he wasn't really at the start of the season. Ryan Fraser's coming on and having a big impact. Jack Stevens has just come back from injury, playing at right back. But they've got the tactical variation. You know, we've seen Carl Walker-Peters play right back, play left back. Manning's come in. James Breeze played. They've swapped flanks. It seems like he's got a really good grasp on the squad. I still have concerns about Gavin Bazunu and the goalkeeper because for as good as he is with his feet, I think he costs you points um, in terms of his actual goalkeeping ability. We saw with the late draw against Watford recently, one that just, just went under him. And it's not the first time he obviously cocked up um, with the with the ball of his feet against Plymouth, uh, getting tackled, and, and that made it 2-1 and nervy, although Southampton held on for the victory. But yeah, I think Southampton can take a lot of um, a lot of encouragement from December in general, but particularly the festive period with Ipswich stuttering, which of course we'll come on to. They've had a really, really good Christmas period, Judge. They have, and they've been on a remarkable run, haven't they? I think, and forgive me now, I think I was I was listening actually to Talksport yesterday, and they were on a they were previewing Southampton's trip to Norwich, and I think they said they were two games away from either equaling or setting their club record for an unbeaten run, which it is remarkable, isn't it? The Championship is such a unforgiving league. We know that anybody can beat anybody on their day, so to have gone 17, 18 games unbeaten is a remarkable feat. Personally, I think the most impressive aspect of this unbeaten run for Southampton is the way that they've shored up defensively. That was one of their biggest concerns at the beginning of the season, wasn't it? With how how vulnerable they were at the back. They were leaking goals left, right and centre. Of course, that blip they had in September when they conceded five to Sunderland, four uh, home to Leicester and, and that 4-4 draw in Norwich as well. Let's not forget in the second game. But if you look at this unbeaten run that they've been on, they've not conceded more than one goal in the game since the 25th of October, which is really, really good going in the Championship. As I say, it's a very unforgiving league. They've won four of the last five games. And as well as that, they've made St Mary's such a fortress. I think it's seven or eight home wins on the bounce now. They really are making that a, a place where they are really sort of hammering home their intentions to get into the top two. And at the moment, you've certainly got to fancy their chance of doing so. Ipswich, though they've got a lot of injuries, it is fair to point out, they are having a little bit of a wobble at the moment. Admittedly, they've only lost one in nine, Ipswich, but they've they've won five without a win now. Draws, a little bit concerning. But the Saints looking like they've got the opportunity to overtake them before, before too long. I think they've certainly got it in them. But like I say, I go back to that defensive element with Russell Martin and that was a situation at the beginning of the season where everybody was pointing the finger and saying they just look so weak and vulnerable defensively. Now, though, they they look as solid as anything. They've only conceded two goals in the last five games. And let's be honest, they should have kept a clean sheet in that win against Plymouth on Friday night when Gavin Bazunu made a horrible error right at the end to allow uh, 
allowed Ryan Hardy to score the easiest goal he's going to get in his life. But overall, Southampton have been very, very good defensively in recent weeks. And that's been the backbone of this brilliant run that they've been on. They'll be a little bit disappointed that they didn't see it through at Norwich, conceding with just over 10 minutes to go. If they'd have won that, they'd have gone into the top two. So it's a really good position for the Saints to be in. Obviously, they've got the FA Cup, like everyone else in the Championship this coming weekend. And then they pick their campaign back up uh, against Sheffield Wednesday in just under a fortnight's time at St Mary's, which is a game they'll be looking to win, though, of course, it won't be easy. But I think Russell Martin, and we said it at the beginning of the season, didn't we? This is the first time that he's really been under pressure. He's got the best squad he's had in his managerial career so far. And yes, it was a slow start. It, it wasn't the most convincing. There was errors creeping in. But since the end of September, they've been absolutely fabulous. And like I say, to string an unbeaten run like this together in the Championship is a remarkable effort. And I think as well, I'm going back to that point on the defensive thing again, when you've got the likes of Kyle Walker-Peters, Taylor Harlow, Bellis in your defence... You should be getting clean sheets. You should be limiting up the opposition. But like I say, the championship, it's very difficult to do that. So huge credit to Russell Martin. They've had a really good festive period. They're on a brilliant run at the minute. And maybe it is just a, a matter of time before they overtake Kieran McKenna's Ipswich. Coventry City knocking right on the door of the playoff places. Three points behind Sunderland, who are in sixth. They, of course, beat Sunderland 3-1 at the Stadium of Light over the Christmas period. And uh, I think we just need to talk about Sakamoto because he's on fire at the moment. Five goals over the Christmas period. And as I say, Coventry won at Sunderland. They beat Sheffield Wednesday. They beat Middlesbrough. And they got a respectable draw as well in there um, for 10 points. And it's really as simple as since the switch to 4-3-3, it has really unlocked the Coventry squad because they played a little bit more possession-based at the start of the season. And they, they clearly signed these these new players, you know, Sakamoto, Haji Wright, and they've really benefited from this change of formation. You've got Van Eyrick, obviously, at right-back as well, who was, um, who was who's been brilliant from right-back. You've got Bidwell, who offers the balance on the other side. Kitchen and Thomas have been rock-solid. And you still get to keep the midfield free that's done so well. Um and then Callum O'Hare's come back into it. And then you've got Casey Palmer fit again as well. And suddenly this squad with Sakamoto being a goal threat off the right-hand side, Hadji Wright proving a goal threat off the left. And then whether you want Gordon or Ellis Sims down the middle, it just looks tailor-made for this system. Callum O'Hare playing in the number 10 has, has come back in fantastic form. But you've also got Casey Palmer and he showed um, with his goal recently how impactful he can be still at championship level. He just can't stay fit, unfortunately. But... If you've got the pair of them dovetailing and rotating, Coventry have, have got a really good chance. They did this last season, of course. They made a terrible start linked to the home form, of course, in terms of not being able to play any games at the CBS Arena. But this season, it was a bedding in period, adjusting to life after Harmer and Gokarez. But they now look really, really good again. They look like they've got pace in the side direct. And that's where... Coventry looked at their best last season. That's where they look most dangerous. So I'm really excited about Coventry. I think they're doing really, really well. And in a league where there's four exceptional teams and a lot of middling teams, there's no reason why Coventry can't string the sort of run together that we saw them do last season and get themselves in the playoffs. Most definitely not. And I think the statistic which highlights just how quickly this Coventry runs come together to to make something is the fact that on Christmas Day, Coventry were 15th in the table. 
they're now up to eighth and it's the 2nd of January. They've made remarkable progress and it just goes to show when games come thick and fast over Christmas, if you have a really good run, you can you can climb the table really, really quickly and that's what Coventry's done. They've gained seven places since Christmas Day. Nobody in the Championship's gained more than them in the last sort of, what, 11 days, give or take, 12 days, whatever it's been. They've had a really, really good run and you mentioned there Sakamoto, had you right, both been in good goal-scoring form and We've we've not mentioned the main architect of it all, and that is of course Mark Robbins, who continues to to defy the odds and do a brilliant, brilliant job. And for me, I I personally think based on what he's done over a prolonged period and what's gone off off the pitch in that time, I still think he is arguably the best manager in the championship, Mark Robbins, in the way he's handled everything over the years, the way he's built a squad, the way that Coventry have evolved as a football club into a, a team that are genuinely one of the better teams in the championship and that's exactly what they are they're on a brilliant run at the minute they've only lost once since the 4th of november and that was away at ipswich which which there's no disgrace in at all so ipswich uh, coventry should i say have got a lot of momentum behind them now they've found a good spring in their step at just the right time they're only three points off the playoffs we've still got 20 games to go and like you said this battle for for seemingly fifth and sixth, I think the top four are gone in terms of whatever order they finish in. Leicester, obviously, of course, likely to get first, but second, third, fourth, obviously up for grabs, it seems. But fifth and sixth, there's probably a little bit of competition of who can get in those places. And Coventry, they're right in the thick of this battle and they're probably the team to watch out for with the run of form that they're on at the moment. But like you said, this change in shape, it's given them a new lease of life, hasn't it? Callum O'Hare coming back from, from that long-term injury, is like a new signing. He's a brilliant player. Sakamoto has been really, really good in the last few weeks. Hadji Wright's really stepped it up after a bit of a slow start. Obviously, arrived for quite a big transfer fee. And initially, there were some frustrations from Coventry fans saying he doesn't quite look at it. But since he's been moved out to that left-hand side, using his pace and his athleticism, he's been really, really good. And he's got three assists and two goals in his last five games. He's had a really good Christmas period. Sakamoto too, he's got five goals in his last four games. He looks brilliant on the opposite side. And then you mentioned there, obviously, the, the back line, Bidwell left back, Van Eywick at right back. It's a really good blend. And I think as well, you've got to give a mention to Brad Collins, his goal. He's done really, really well too. He's he's certainly made a difference between the sticks. But I think for Coventry, even though they've been on this brilliant run of 3 and 4 they'll be absolutely kicking themselves that they didn't get over the line against Swansea on Friday night in that 2-2 yeah. draw when Liam Cullen scored that last gas free kick. But like Mark Robbins said, I can't criticise my players. The Christmas period is so demanding, uses so much energy. So we've got 10 points from 12, which has featured some some difficult fixtures, going to Sunderland, going to Middlesbrough. 10 points from 12 is a very, very healthy return. And I, I'm excited to see how Coventry kick on in the next few weeks. So for me, if I was... If I was set to sort of forced into saying put £10 now on a team currently outside of the top six to get in there come the end of the season, I think I'd be putting my money on Coventry because, you know, people who have listened to this podcast for several seasons, certainly last year, know that I've got a bit of a soft spot for Coventry. I've always liked them. I like the way they've developed as a club. I just think the way that they're playing at the moment with such confidence. I mean, to go to Sunderland, who are obviously currently in that last playoff place and win 3-0, then go to Middlesbrough and win 3-1, coming from behind as well. It's it's real testament to that team. So I think that Mark Robbins has certainly got the, the team he thought he was getting at the beginning of the season. 
where obviously they, they had to make a few adjustments, lost two key players, which obviously brought in big big funds to reinvest in the squad. They made a few big name signings, Van Iwick, Hadji Wright, Ellis Sims. Yeah, they took a little bit of time to get going, but they're on a real run of momentum now. And it's worth mentioning as well, they've only lost seven out of 26 this season. Draws have killed them a little bit in times, but at the, at the right time now, they're finding their feet. Maybe one or two more additions this month they could be right up there come the end of the season in terms of being very sort of cemented in the top six rather than knocking on the door to the end. But I'll be honest, they've been really impressive the last few weeks. And like I say, 10 points out of 12 over Christmas, it's a really, really good return, especially when you consider the, the games that they had. Absolutely, yeah. As you say, the the statement victories as well will, will fill them full of confidence going to Sunderland, going to Millwall, uh, going to Millwall, going to Middlesbrough and getting the wins. Millwall who is, is who we're going to talk about next. They've had a big Christmas break for Joe Edwards because it hadn't got off to the greatest of starts. It's fair to say, under a little bit of pressure, getting dragged into a relegation battle. Well, 10 points clear of the drop zone now, and they haven't conceded in any of the four games since we last recorded. They've drawn with Stoke City. Everyone does that. But they've beat Norwich City, they've beat Bristol City, and they've beat Queen's Park Rangers. And again, I think a tactical shift in shape has been a big part of this. They've gone to a 3-4-3 free free for um, the majority of it, bringing someone experienced like Hutchinson back into the heart of the defence. Um, I think Norton Coffey's probably a little bit more suited to playing as a wing-back because he's very good going forward, but still quite wet behind the ears at times defensively. Joe Bryan as well is better offensively than defensively. Zian Fleming, Watmore, Bradshaw in that fluid front three causing problems and I don't think Millwall have suddenly become an amazing team overnight if anything they've gone a bit more back to being like they were under Rower where they're playing a bit more percentage football getting goals from set pieces and winning games by fine margins you know look at the Bristol City game at the weekend that that was very much a nil-nil game that they've managed to snatch at the end and which is ironic because the reverse fixture if memory serves me right was um, exactly the same and then Bristol City got a late winner and managed to nick it in the 90th minute so both games probably should have ended in draws and both teams have got three points, which suits them better mathematically. So maybe they could have agreed on that before kickoff. But I do think it's been a big couple of weeks for Millwall and for Edwards. And maybe it's going to be a case of just getting them through to the end of the season a little bit more pragmatically than perhaps we, he would have initially liked until he can have a real go at changing the squad around. Maybe they can do a little bit of that in January, but we know the bulk of any transfer work particularly if you're trying to change philosophy in the championship has to come on the training ground has to come in the summer window where you've got time to implement your strategies so i think it's been a good good couple of weeks slightly reverting to type but it probably will get millwall away from the danger zone get them safe and then maybe edwards can build a little bit more trust from the squad and, and get his own players in to try and develop the style of play a little bit more yeah, definitely. And I mentioned there, didn't I, a few minutes ago about how Coventry had, had gained the most places over the between Christmas Day and, and New Year's Day. Millwall were the second biggest sort of gainers in that time. They climbed five places from Christmas Day to New Year's Day, jumping from 20th to 15th. And you mentioned there four successive clean sheets. And if you even look back prior to that four-game run, that 1-1 draw with Huddersfield, Obviously, Huddersfield equalised right at the death with a penalty, so they've actually gone five games in a row now without conceding from open play, which is which is really good going. And Millwall, they've always been renowned, haven't they, as being a robust team, difficult, make life difficult for you. And like you said, they've kind of gone back to being that team again of old, bringing the likes of Sean Hutchinson back into the heart of that defence just to sort of marshal it and steady the ship a little bit. But again, 
they didn't have the easiest crop of fixtures over Christmas. QPR has had their, their momentum from the early days of Marty Sifuentes has, has dwindled a little bit. They've lost their way slightly. But Norwich have been up and down. Bristol City were on a good run. And, and Millwall went to Ashton Gate on one on New Year's Day. So they've won three in a row without conceding. And for Joe Edwards, it was always going to be, obviously having had so long under Gary Rowe, it was going to be a decision that was going to take time to adjust and adapt. And yeah, he didn't get off to the best of starts. He, he lost three of his first five games, but they're now unbeaten in five and they are starting to look like the Millwall of old again. And they will want to evolve. They will want to improve. This transfer window will be key. But the summer will be more important. The summer, of course, you can do a lot more when you haven't got the, the the added pressure of games every three or four days in between the transfer window. So I think Joe Edwards, as it clearly was when the appointment was made, it was a long-term move. But we are seeing a gradual improvement from Millwall in recent weeks. And that formation shift has been key to that. Brooke Norton Cuffey has been particularly impressive. Tom Bradshaw with a couple of goals in the last three games. He's looked more like his old self again, looking... Sort of getting in the right areas to finish chances off like he did last season with 16 goals. So I think if Millwall can just sort of steady the ship and just continue to go as they are, that they'll not be in any any threat of danger at all. And all of a sudden, they're up to 15, 32 points. So if you can gain four, five, six points in the next few weeks, you could be with an outside bet of the playoffs. I doubt it very much, but situations can change quickly. So whereas maybe sort of 12 days ago, you were looking at Millwall and thinking, might be in trouble here a little bit. Now, you're not thinking like that at all. So credit to them, credit to Joe Edwards. They've had a really good run over the Christmas and New Year period. And like I say, five games in a row without conceding from open play, that that's really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be a roundup of the winners and losers without talking about Leicester City, the... Uh... <laughs> The uh, the the inevitable champions, it feels, of the division. They're now ten points clear of second place. Ipswich, thirteen points clear of third. Just like Burnley last year, unfortunately, we're going to see them run off into the sunset, I believe, and win this league with quite a bit of ease. They beat Rotherham United, Cardiff, and Huddersfield. The only blot on their copybook was the last minute draw at Portman Road against Ipswich, where I think Ipswich probably did deserve a point, but it's a very lucky deflection that's uh, got them that. And they've they've really flexed their muscles. I feel like over this uh, over this festive period, in terms of the squad depth, the quality they've got. You know, someone like Tom Cannon who who barely kicked a ball for them, and then he scores a brace. Just comes into the squad as fourth choice striker, gets a brace. Pat Sendaka we've seen come into the fold as well, who's not really been involved in recent weeks, score goals because they're too good for this level. Um, it's good to see. I, I want to see more of Cannon, particularly as Jamie Vardy sort of ages. It would be nice to see Cannon get some of his minutes, perhaps and um, really see whether it was a flash in the pan at Preston or whether he really is a, a Premier League striker in waiting. But yeah, it fit. I, don't, I don't want to get fatigued talking about Leicester, but I already feel like I am a little bit because they are just better than everyone else, aren't they? Just taking the piss, aren't they, really? Let's be honest. Let's just cut to the chase and say how it is. It's just, it's ridiculous. But at the end of the day, what do you expect with the squad that they've got? And we all we all tipped them for the title at the start of the season. And yes, it was an obvious choice, but we did it because it was so likely to happen. And that's exactly what has happened. They just look a class above. And that's what you're going to do when you've got Premier League S players. I mean, the likes of Ricardo Pereira, Wilfred Ndidi in, in a Championship eleven. it's obscene really, isn't it? They are Premier League quality. Steffi Mavadidi, he, he looks like he could be ready to play in the Premier League. Really, really good player. And then you look at the experience of like Vestergaard, Connor Cody in there. 
Just from back to front, it is a Premier League team. We're going to have team. a laugh when we pick our team of the seasons, whether we pick Carl Walker-Peters or Ricardo Pereira at right back. <laughs> well, maybe can I, can I deploy Pereira as CDM? He likes to move in there. Mm, can, I, can, I, can I drop that as an early shout now? No. Am I allowed? No. No. Oh, well. <laughs> worth a go. But no, I think it's just, it is just a matter of time, really, isn't it, before those blue ribbons are tied around the Championship trophy and Leicester are presented with it because... They've opened up a 10-point lead on Ipswich now. There was a brief period where you thought maybe Ipswich could push them for the title. But I think Leicester now, they are effectively home and dry. I know 10 points can be eaten into quite quickly in this league, as we've seen over Christmas in certain situations. But I do think Leicester will lay their hands on that title. They've not lost now since the, the 11th of November when they lost to Middlesbrough. They, they've been on a, an absolute roll. And like you say, with the exception of that um, that late draw at Ipswich... They'd have won, I think, eight in a row, eight or nine in a row. And it's quite odd because Leicester, in the two games that they've actually failed to win since they lost to Middlesbrough on the 11th of November, have both been 1-1 draws. And they conceded both goals in those games in the 93rd minute. So just a fraction more concentration, they would have been sitting here with 10 or 11 wins on the bounce again. So it just goes to show how good they are. And ultimately, that result on, on New Year's Day against Huddersfield, it was it was one that was no real surprise. It was always likely to be a walk in the park for, for Leicester City, as it's been on most occasions at the King Power Stadium for them this season. But I think you've got to you've got to give a shout out, like you mentioned there, to Tom Cannon coming in. I think it was only his fifth appearance of the season. You almost forgot he was there, to be honest with you. The, obviously, he had that really good loan spell at Preston North End last season. There was a lot of interest in him in the summer from a lot of clubs. And obviously Leicester, they, they won the race from on deadline day, but you never quite thought that he was going to be a regular fixture there with the quality ahead of him. But he's come into the team on New Year's Day, scored a couple of goals, fair play to him. So he'll certainly be looking to, to retain his place. And when you think to what Leicester have got coming ahead, they've got the FA Cup this weekend and all championship tie with Millwall. It might be a game for Tom Cannon to keep his place in that game and possibly have another go, see if he can get another goal and add to his tally. Because Leicester's upcoming schedule after the FA Cup, their next two championship games are quite interesting. Coventry away, that won't be an easy one with the way Coventry are going at the moment. It will be a tough ask, that one. And then, so suddenly, a rematch with Ipswich again at the King Power on the 22nd. So, two big games coming up in the league for, for Leicester. But with the way they're going at the minute, you, you wouldn't bet against them getting six points on those two games. So, I think it is only a matter of time before they are lifting the trophy. And I suppose the biggest question is, are they going to set the championship record for the most number of points? I, I think you, you'd be inclined to say yes with the way things are going. It'll certainly be a challenge for them. We saw with Burnley, though, once they got it wrapped up, they did drop off. So maybe they did. Uh, that could kick into towards the We shall season. see. But certainly points per game-wise, they're looking on course. Right, let's flip the table around and let's look at the biggest losers. And it's Blackburn Rovers who have had the worst Christmas period. One point from a possible 12. One win in eight. Um, in, in um, across December, they've shipped ten goals across Christmas. Forty-eight now for the season. Only Rotherham United have conceded more. The big fifty, and the story of Blackburn's Christmas period has been individual errors, including shocking goalkeeping, and really, really poor, naive defending. That they're, they're incredibly low in confidence, desperate for January to get some fresh bodies in, but whether they'll even manage to be able to do that with the ongoing financial situation with the Venkis in India, is really unclear. And the pressure on Yondal Thomason, not in terms of his job, but in terms of frustration building around the club from him, in terms of with the with the, the lack of help in terms of the squad and the, the thinness of it, 
and the supporters who feel like they're hearing the same sort of reasoning, whether valid or not, every single week is growing and growing. And what I find really interesting is is Blackburn only conceded 30 goals last season in the Championship. They've, they've conceded nearly, um, well, they've conceded over 50% more this season, 48 in 26 instead of 30 in 26. That's a huge difference. And when you look at the players that left in the summer, they were all attacking players that made a big difference. Daniel Ayala, the only defender of any note, and he wasn't a first-choice pick by any means. He missed most of the start of the calendar year for injury. So it's really difficult to pinpoint exactly what the big difference is. I think it's a multitude of things. I think it's the fact that the squad is so much younger, the fact it's thinner on the ground in terms of numbers. They've also, in terms of that, had terrible injury luck, which I do think is culminated. And I think they've got a squad that ultimately represents and is a mirror image of the transfer business they did. It's incredibly young. It's a bit wet behind the ears. They're really nice. They play lovely patterns of football between both boxes. But but where it hurts and where you win games of football, they've not got the grit. They've not got the experience. And they've not got players that are used to playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday for 40 games a season. They've got a lot of talented young players that are in their first sort of loans or their first breakthrough seasons and I think that's starting to catch up with them now so they are very much desperate for some reinforcements in January if they're able to and they've got to sort out the defending because the goalkeeper's had a shocker over Christmas he's he's made individual errors in four games uh, in a row the one against Rotherham United particularly costly again at the weekend because Blackburn were in complete domination of that game in the ascendancy just hadn't quite got that second goal yet and suddenly it completely puts the nerves in the in the stadium, in the defence, gives Rotherham a massive lift and the, the game changes and, and goals do change games, as Thomason likes to say. Um, and, and the goals they've conceded through the goalkeeper, Leopold Wallstead, have been at terrible times. The defending has been amateurish, particularly at Hull, it was really bad. They were terrible on Boxing Day, worst performance of the season, possibly under Thomason's tenure. So in all in all, it's been a pretty miserable year uh, enter the year for Blackburn Rovers and, and they've got to snap out of it pretty quickly because they've dropped from chasing the playoffs to suddenly 17th. Now, I, I don't think for a second they're going to be battling relegation, but it doesn't take that much more to go wrong for, before all of a sudden you get very concerned about the trajectory the club is in. Well, I, I've got to be totally honest with you. I'd not realised until yesterday... New Year's Day before the games at three o'clock that Blackburn had actually got the second worst defence in the league. And obviously they were up against the worst defence in the league in Rotherham. That that stat did surprise me. I didn't realise it had got quite as bad as that. I wonder what odds you'd have got for nil nil. <laughs> probably probably not very very high ones, I don't have thought. But I think to be honest with you, I've got to look at the situation with Blackburn and it is a very young squad. There's, there is no denying that. It is a very young, very inexperienced team. And like you said, they have produced some really good football at times this season. They've won some good games and won them by playing well. However, is it a case of a team, though it's young, that should be doing better? Because they are in a bit of a rut at the minute. They're, they're bottom of the form table of, over the last eight games. Four points from Apostle 24, six defeats in that run. It is a really concerning run. Defensively, they look an absolute car crash. You've done the story today about James Hill going back to Bournemouth, potentially. That is a big blow if that comes off. And obviously, there's this ongoing situation with the Venkies and Yondal Thomason sort of hinting at, is he going to have money to play with this month? You obviously know more than me on that score. But from where I'm looking, the situation is, is not sort of running out of control, sort of hitting the panic button, but 
it is sort of escalating quite quickly in terms of on the pitch. The form is really poor because I mean this with absolutely no disrespect to Rotherham, but that is a home game you should be winning. I think the everyone in the league held expects to, to be rock bottom at home. Like the, that's the, the, the thing, isn't it? Expecting they, saying that. I think for Rotherham, me, it, it, just just to, they're just so to, poor away from home, Rotherham though. Generally, yeah, they me, are just, so just bad and have been for I over think, a year. I think where I'll get really concerned is if the form sort of continues over the next month because I do think the schedule's played a large part. They've played, what, seven or eight games in December. And I do think that... It has been demanding it. They haven't got another midweek game, assuming the FA Cup doesn't get moved. They haven't got another midweek game until mid-February. So they've got a free month, basically, of one game a week. I do think that will make a big difference. Yeah, it, it could well do. And time will tell on that score. It really will because... Like, like I go back to that old, that saying of Mark Robbins is last week. He said that the the Christmas period is very, very, very demanding on footballers. What, regardless of the level, to play so many times, and when you think about it, from playing Friday night to playing yesterday, New Year's Day, every single team went again twice in under seventy two hours. Of course, a lot of people say, well, the professional footballers they're earning X amount of money every single week, but at the end of the day, that will take its toll on a person's body particularly young players who are still finding their feet. So I think Yondal Thomason will look at that and, and think, yeah, the schedule is going to ease. It's going to be less condensed. We are going to have more time on the train ground between matches and hopefully that will help. But six defeats in eight, regardless, it, it is quite worrying for a team that not long ago, I'll admit, I, I actually sort of felt this could be the year they get into the top six. I was really impressed and encouraged by the way they were playing. So I think it is a little bit disappointing, but there are one or two factors you've probably got to appreciate. But at the end of the day, football is a results-driven enterprise. At the moment, Blackburn Rovers aren't getting them. They've got to try and find a way to steady the ship uh, and, and correct that. And hopefully they will. But on the plus side, I suppose, another goal for Sammy Smodix on New Year's Day to continue his brilliant season that he's having Seems to score a hell of a lot of goals by rounding the keeper this year. I don't know if that's me, but he seems to have been a few of them and a few yeah. little dinks over the keeper as well at certain points. But for me, I would say that in terms of sort of individuals, I still think Sammy Smodix has probably been the story of the championship season so far. Nobody at all saw this coming. So that's certainly what... 150 to 1 to be top scorer at the start of the season. Well, I wonder if anybody put, were brave enough to put a tenner on that. Might, might be in for a good cash out at the minute with the way things are going. But I think in all seriousness, that's certainly one crumb of comfort that Rovers can cling on to with the way he's developed in the, over the course of the season. But you look at Blackburn's next few games, obviously they, 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 they're all on Saturdays for the next few weeks. So there's no midweek interruptions in the league. I mean, uh, excluding the FA Cup Tower Cambridge this weekend, they've got West Brom away. Huddersfield at home, Cardiff away, QPR at home, Stoke at home. It, it's a reasonably favourable run, if you can say such a thing in the Championship. West Brom away, obviously, will be tough. The Baggies are a tough nut to crack at the Hawthorns. But following that, three home games against teams that are at the bottom end of the table in, in Huddersfield, QPR and Stoke, they're the games that Blackburn do really need to get back on track. So we'll see. And obviously, the window's open now. Let's see what they can do on that score. Time will tell. But at the moment, yeah, it, there's, there's mitigating circumstances you've got to take into account, but there's no escaping six defeats in eight. It is, it is worrying. The only other team not to win over Christmas, George, was Queen's Park Rangers. And it, the, there is a concern that the steam has run out of the, uh, of the Marty Sifuentes train and the Great Escape because they've lost to Southampton and Millwall. No big concern about that. Yeah, you'd like to get a point from Millwall maybe, but losing to Southampton. 
pretty understandable. Um, a respectable draw at Ipswich, but then you go and lose at home to Cardiff, which in, in quite a disappointing manner, which is a concern. And with the rate that Sheffield Wednesday and Huddersfield, particularly Sheffield Wednesday, are picking up points at the minute, and Huddersfield are just just trudging along. I wouldn't say they're picking up points at a great rate, but they're ju- just picking up enough, just doing enough to keep their head above water. There is a there is a concern that QPR could fall behind again. Um, of course, the transfer window should be pretty big for them this month. What do they do about Willock and Cher? Willock out of contract in the summer. So if an offer comes in for him, do they cash in? Do they use that money elsewhere? So I do think Sifuentes will do a bit of wheeling and dealing if he can. But I don't think the financial um, background and landscape of Queen's Park Rangers is quite as healthy as it once was. Certainly didn't do much to back Gareth Ainsworth in the summer. So I'm intrigued to see whether there's any major funds available for him to shape the squad. because. No doubt he want different players. Maybe there's a few on the continent that he's aware of that they might be able to get in on, on decent, cheaper deals. But yeah, a bit, a bit of a concerning run for QPR, especially with the way Sheffield Wednesday picked up points. Um, Huddersfield with a good win over Blackburn and looked decent on that day. So they, they, they sort of have had another knock and they need to regroup and go again and it can't go on for too long. It certainly can't. And you've mentioned there, obviously, the rate that Sheffield Wednesday have picked up the points in the last few weeks. The Owls obviously picking up back-to-back wins over New Year. And, and obviously, last Friday, winning at Preston, beating Hull on New Year's Day. QPR, obviously, are on this this bit of a downward trajectory at the minute. I mean, they, they've now gone six games without a victory. And I think the most alarming statistic in that run is the fact that they've only scored two goals in the last six games. That's where the big worry is. And obviously... Ultimately, if you can't put the ball in the net, you, you as obvious as it sounds, you aren't going to win football matches. So that is a, an area that QPR seemingly need to address in the transfer. They've got to get a striker from somewhere because realistically, Willock, Chair, players like that, you've certainly got the ammunition there to create chances, you'd like to think. So it's just about having somebody to put the ball in the back of the net. And I think the big thing for QPR is the fact, though their home record has been pretty torrid over the past 12 months, the, the defeat to Cardiff on New Year's Day was the first of four successive home games. They've got a real opportunity. If they could get some form going at home, the next three are Watford, Millwall and Huddersfield, all at Loftus Road. They ideally need to be winning at least two of them, in my opinion, to stand a real chance of getting out of this. Because we mentioned Wednesday, and we've, we've not really touched on Wednesday that much in this episode, to be fair. And I think Wednesday at the moment, of the teams in the bottom three, are certainly the ones with the most momentum behind them. They're probably playing the best brand of football at the minute. Danny Rill doing a sterling job there. But QPR, at the beginning of December, did seemingly look as though they were turning a corner. They, they won three in a row. I watched the game when they won 2-0 at Preston on the 1st December, the Friday night. And, and they played really, really well. And at that point, I thought that they're going to get out of this quite comfortably. They played really well that night. And then they beat Hull City. Uh, and then, obviously, they hit the buffers a little bit with that 0-0 draw at Plymouth. Then they lost at Sheffield Wednesday in the day in seconds, a big game at the bottom. Then they lost to Southampton, lost to Millwall, drew with with Ipswich, which is probably worth mentioning, that draw with Ipswich. QPR, another day, they get at least one penalty in that game. Mm. They were denied two very dubious decisions, the second one especially for a handball. And ultimately, if that's given, QPR win at Loftus Road, uh, win at Portman Road, should I say, not only does it give you a big win, it also gives you a huge psycho- psychological boost. So I think they'll be disappointed with the fact that they've only taken one point over Christmas and New Year. Transfer window feels as though it'll be key, but I think we've seen enough at times under Marty Sifuentes to suggest they, 
they can play a good brand of football. They can put a bit of a run together. It's just a case of can they do it? So it's going to be a tough ask, but they're certainly not out of it, not by any stretch. None of the bottom three in terms of mathematically are, are anywhere near gone at the moment. But when you've gone on a bit of a run like this that QPR have had, especially without scoring, it does raise a few concerns. So hopefully they can correct these problems in the transfer market and we'll see where we are. But like I say, three home games in a row coming up, they've got a win for me, at least two of those. Ipswich, five without a win, which seemed improbable earlier in the season. And they've seen their lead cut to three points, as we've touched on with Southampton. But draws have been their undoing, as well as getting battered at Leeds United. Um, they're missing some some key players at the moment in terms of injuries over the last couple of results. George Hurst is now out with a long-term hamstring injury. Uh, Dane Scarlett's gone back to Tottenham. Leif Davis is out for a couple of weeks. But they are missing that incision in the final third at the moment, which when you concede the the volume and quality of the chances that Ipswich have conceded all season, in fairness, um, that is eventually going to hurt you if you're not scoring them at the other end. So we knew this could happen at some point because of the you know quality of chance that they were giving away, the expected goals that they concede against. Um, and it's not clicking in the final third at the minute for Ipswich. So... I always felt they might hit a bit of a buffer. Now, they're probably going to spend in January. They'll definitely be bringing a striker in, you would expect. Uh, Jay Stansfield, someone that's been linked. I think that would could be an interesting one. I think he would be good in terms of someone to develop over the next 18 months. Is he the striker to come in and fire it, switch to promotion and breathe new life into their top two challenge? Not sure he's quite at that level yet. Is he someone that if they buy him permanently, I could see them developing it over the next 18 months? to be a top-end championship striker? Yes, I think that would be a good investment. So depends how much it has to be this season and they want to grasp the opportunity or how much they're still thinking about the long-term development of the team. But a bit of a concern in terms of the recent form. Southampton, of course, breathing down the next. Leeds still not that far away either. But I think this is what people expected. I think Ipswich eventually were going to get reeled in because of the size of the squad. Um, because of ultimately the momentum they've been on, it was eventually going to have to hit the buffers in, in some way, shape or form. Just as Southampton's will, they can't be unbeaten forever. Leeds have had a bit of a sticky spell over um, the last month where they, they feel like they took two steps forward and then one step back. It's going to be a good race, I think, for second place and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's certainly opened up, hasn't it? A hell of a lot more than we were probably anticipating, say, four or five weeks ago, give or take. But I think Ipswich, you, you've of course got to factor in the injuries that they've encountered in the last couple of weeks. The loss of George Hurst is a big one. Uh, and the thing with George Hurst, he's been so integral to the way that Ipswich have played, bringing in, in others into play, like Connor Chaplin, Wes Burns, Nathan Broadhead, those that playing pace around him. him behind, hasn't he? Which creates yeah, spaces in the pockets for Broadhead and Chaplin to be so effective. That's the thing. He's a he's a good all-round striker, George Hurst. So he's really developed a lot under Kieran McKenna. And I think he is going to be a huge loss. Kieran McKenna saying that he's he's probably going to be out now to the latter stages of the season, which is, of course, a huge blow. And and to be fair to him, when you look at George Hurst's numbers this season, they've been a lot more encouraging than what he's probably gained credit for from across the, the, you know, the whole of the league. He's got six goals and six assists. It's not a bad return at all for... Still a relatively young-ish striker at this level. He's taken his time to get to grips with the championship. But there's been obviously a lot of speculation in the last couple of days that they're going to sign um, Jeremy Saramento, who is on loan at West Bromwich Albion, uh, coming in from Brighton over Albion, apparently. Obviously not a striker, but added that extra dimension out wide. Could it be a switch that maybe moves Nathan Broadhead up front, possibly? It may do. 
But there's obviously talk of Jay Stansfield. And I think personally, Kieran McKenna has proven that with the way he's put, with the way Ipswich have played this season, played last season, he's capable of improving just about any player. So I think he's certainly a player that could slot into that team and score goals. We've seen flashes of it at Birmingham this season. But yeah, Southampton have, have eaten into their advantage a little bit. Ipswich have had a little bit of a wobble. And it seems crazy calling it a wobble when they've only lost one of the last nine, which which is sort of testament to just how good they were up until sort of three weeks ago. So, yeah, they've had a little bit of a blip, a few draws in there. But let's not forget, this team, they were a League One side 12 months ago, not even 12 months ago. It's remarkable that they're even in this position. And no doubt people say if they do finish in the playoffs, they bottled it. They didn't bottle it at all. They've just be, they've just been pit by a, obviously a team that were in the Premier League last season against a team that were in League One last season. Just to be even in the conversation with the top six would have been a ridiculous achievement. So to be right in the thick of the top two battle is is insane. To be quite quite honest with you, they've only lost three all season, which is remarkable. So yeah, they're having a little bit of a blip. Will they get out of it? I'm sure that they will. Obviously, that the squad looked a little bit more like its old self at Stoke City compared to what it did against QPR on Friday. There were some some key players returning, Wes Burns being one of them, Broadhead another. But I think Leif Davis is obviously a huge loss at left-back. He's been such a creative force down that side of the pitch, doubling up with Nathan Broadhead and, like I say, George Hurst as well. So, yeah, they're, they're having, a, having a little bit of a testing time at the minute, even though they're not losing games as such. But I, I think we've seen enough from Ipswich and enough from Kieran McKenna to know that they'll be able to turn things around quickly. So you look at the next few games, Sunderland at home, Leicester away, Rotherham at home, Preston away. With the exception of the Leicester game, you, you'd probably bat Ipswich in three of the four of them because Portman Road, though Sunderland obviously are, are slowly getting going under Michael Beale, I think it's fair to say. At home, Ipswich, they've been relentless all season. So be interested to see how they go and like I say Rotherham to come not too far down the line then Preston away and they're in a bit of a rut at the minute so I think Ipswich interesting one to keep an eye on transfer window probably key just to top up the squad but I certainly don't buy into the fact that that their hopes of automatic promotion are over that some people are suggesting right in the thick of it they're still in the box seat and as neutrals it could be quite an interesting battle over the next three or four months how this plays out yeah absolutely George I want to talk about Preston North End to round things off because it's an interesting debate about Ryan Lowe at the moment in particular. They, they've they got four wins in their last 19 championship games, having made such a fantastic start. One win over Christmas, that was against Leeds United, who were down to 10 men. I think the biggest concern in terms of Preston is their, their patterns of play in terms of offensively, particularly, are pretty non-existent. If you look at not just the goals in terms of numbers, but, but their underlying statistics, the expected goals... If you take out the Watford game where they did manage to create quite a lot of chances, their XG is is under one for quite a lot of the, this run. Um, and that just shows they're not creating quality chances. Their, their pattern of play at the minute seems to be get the ball to Liam Miller on the left-hand side and hope he can cut in and curl it into the top corner. Or he can beat three men and put a cross in that someone can head into the back of the net. And I've been a staunch defender of Ryan Lowe last season where I thought they were not overachieving. I thought they were par for the course and I thought that Preston fans were being a little bit harsh. And I do still think that if you look at the league position and I think if you you've jumbled some of the results up, there'd be less discontent. But I do think we're starting to veer into the into the into the part into the scenario of Ryan Lowe where things are starting to go a little bit stale, where there is an argument that the football is just not quite good enough, even if the results are decent. 
Now, I do, similar to Millwall last season, I do think Preston have probably got one of their better squads this season than they've had. They've got more options, particularly in the final third. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Millwall last year, but they've got more options. They've, you know, they spent on Osmaic. They've got Frocco Jensen, who Lowe's not really been able to solve. He's not got the best out of him. Will Keane's been in and out with injuries. Dwayne Holmes looked bright at times, then he's come out of the team. Um, defensively, they're okay. They're pretty good. You know, when they've got everyone available, they're pretty solid. But there's clearly a mentality problem when they go behind um, and they go, they've go. they gone under a lot. You know, when Preston lose, they lose badly. I think they've lost 12 times by four or more goals since Ryan Lowe took charge, which is a consistent problem. Um, they've got some good players in there. You know, I think Alan Brown's having a really good season. He's probably been their best player. Um, whenever they've played really well, he's been great. Miller's looks like a good pickup. They must be really hoping he doesn't get recalled and sold on by Basel because if he do, they'd be knackered at the minute when you look at their attacking patterns and style of play because he is everything to them. So whilst I was very defendant of Ryan Lowe last season and they're not doing that much worse this season and started great, I have to say that they need to show some signs of evolving as an attacking team over the next month or so or things could get pretty toxic at Deepdale. And, and, I, and I'm, I would start to veer into maybe it's time to think about something fresh if Ryan Lowe can't shake things up a little bit and come up with a new dimension to this team going forward. Well, you only have to look at the general consensus, don't you, toward Ryan Lowe among Preston supporters and social media. And it doesn't make particularly particularly fond reading if you're a Ryan Lowe supporter, a member of Ryan Lowe's um, camp, to be honest with you, because Preston fans, ultimately, they've, they've had enough, haven't they? They've absolutely had enough that the comments and the way Ryan Lowe's almost speaking now is is becoming a little bit aggressive, isn't it? He, he's kind of questioning the fans who are questioning him, almost saying, you can't have an yeah, you can't have an opinion. I'm the manager. I'm the one with the coaching badges. Keep your opinions out. And there was a quote that was doing the round after the game against Sunderland on New Year's Day where it said something. Um, I, I've been unable to trace it as we record this, unfortunately, but it was it was sort of very sort of savage and quite getting a little bit hot under the collar, if you like. If, I believe if, it if was to BBC it, uh, Radio Lancashire and it was about um, saying what have the fans achieved. Yeah, something like that. It was along those lines. And, and he said something as well about about tactics and the style of play, I think, just before Christmas as well, when he was saying, what 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 coaching badges has the fan got? What what has he done? And if you're talking like that, it's only going to rub fans up the wrong way and you're not going to get support. But ultimately, Preston, in terms of on the pitch, oddly enough, I think I've seen more of Preston than any other side in the last, in the last two weeks in the Christmas period. I, I watched their games against Leeds on Boxing Day. I saw the game against Sheffield Wednesday on Friday night and I, I watched the game against Sunderland on New Year's Day lunchtime. And in the second half against Leeds on Boxing Day, Preston were the better side. They deserved to win that game. They did play some good stuff, but a lot of it did extend, as you said, left-hand side, Liam Miller, try and work some magic. And, and the red card's a massive they... moment in that as well. It is. It is. It's a huge moment. And that did that sort of got the crowd up. It tipped the balance in Preston's favour. But, you know, they did play quite well in the game, to be fair to them. Against Sheffield Wednesday, Wednesday did a really good job in sort of just grinding the result out and closing the, the Preston avenues of, you know, that they've done with Liam Miller in the last few weeks. Wednesday did a real job on him in blocking him out the game and really limiting him. Sunderland, obviously Sunderland had got that game sewn up by half-time and then Preston second half had a lot of the ball, but never really looked like scoring. The damage was done and there was no recovery. 
So I think when you look at the situation, North End are in, it's four wins in 19 games. It's really, really poor. But Preston fans, and they've been harping on about it, haven't they, even prior to this season, that the style of play has just been horrific. But as a counter-argument, and, and Preston fans, I doubt, would agree with me on this. And obviously, you got into a little bit of an argument with Preston fans at one point last season when you defended Ryan Lowe. But realistically, for where Preston currently are at this moment in time, and like I say, I'm prepared to get pelters for this, Preston are currently 14th in the table, only five points off the playoffs, which tells you everything about another bonkers championship season. Realistically, for the players for the players that Preston have, the squad that they've got, where do Preston fans realistically expect to be? Are they good enough to be considered top six material? And this is where I don't I think, think it does I come think, down to probably style of play and philosophy and, it, and it, attacking. Players. I think so because realistically, what would you expect from Preston? Would there be a team say at the start of this season we'd made our predictions? Would we've been looking at Preston thinking top six outsiders? Probably not. No. You would have them in mid-table around where they currently are. But having said that, like Preston fans have said, and, and I've said it in the past, uh, and you know me and you, we support a team that was guided by Chisco Munoz this season. So we've definitely you know, had arguments about style of play. If you go and watch football, ultimately you want to be entertained. That is the reason why we all love the sport. We all love the game. And Preston fans clearly feel they're not being entertained. And based on what I've seen in the last three games, certainly the last two, I can agree with that, definitely. But I just say at the same time, sort of where do Preston fans expect to realistically be? Because I think they are probably where they should be for the squad that they've got, even though they do argue that we've seen other teams in the past that shouldn't have been in the top six get in there, kick on, sometimes get to the Premier League. Like, say, your Luton Town last year, we've seen obviously Coventry, but they've significantly developed the squad in the last couple of years a lot more than what Preston has. got to evolve. So like, I can see Coventry, as you've said, they've evolved. They've built on it, haven't they? Preston have been a bit too samey for too long, if you like. There's a lot of players there that have been there for quite a number of years. 3-5-2 every and they've not, Or 3 yeah, 3 not really evolved. Season. And yeah, they had a good start to the season, but I think deep down we all knew that that wouldn't last. And obviously it hasn't. So... I can certainly see why Preston fans do want Ryan Lowe out. I can understand it. Four wins in 19. It's not good enough. There's no no way of dressing it up. Style of play is a big issue. So let's see what happens. Preston, The Preston board obviously gave him the vote of confidence not long ago. Normally that results in getting the sack two weeks later. So far, for now, he's still there. But surely it can't go on for much longer if Preston keep continuing to get results like this. It's one win in five. I think four defeats in that run as well. And like I say, they've, they've been on quite... A, I know they've not really had one over Christmas since the Watford game, but they've had a fair few batterings as well this season that they've been on the receiving end of. So a lot of work to be done in the next couple of games. Bristol City at home, not an easy one. Then Leeds away. You know, th- these are tough games and they're just continuing to stack up. So do Preston, do they, they make the switch? FA Cup trip to Chelsea at the weekend? Could, a, could an FA Cup shock revive like Ryan Lowe's hopes? Maybe, maybe not. You'll never know, but... Personally, I think a couple more defeats and that that might be the finals draw. Yeah, I really enjoyed that going through the festive period. I hope you have as well a, a bit of a different podcast from us zooming out a little bit and, and trying to sort of pick a bit deeper into the bones and the successes of the teams over the Christmas period. I hope you've enjoyed it. Make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed where you can get your podcast from us every single week. Uh, follow us on Twitter at ChampChampPod24. And of course, we will be back after FA Cup weekend every Monday 
bringing you a full recap and roundup of the biggest championship stories. A huge thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.